Hi folks, this is Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On this episode, I interviewed Joshua Winograd, Senior Director of Artistic Planning at the Los Angeles Opera. I've been singing at the opera for 11 seasons now, and this is the first time I've had a chance to sit down and have a nice chat with Josh, and uh, he's a great guy. I learned a lot about how the company finds singers, how they handle singers, uh, Josh's history as a singer. He had a very good career as a singer and decided to get into uh, administration, which I thought was fascinating as well. So I hope you find the chat interesting. And um, anyway, here it is. Enjoy. Now, you are the um, uh, Director of Artistic Development, is that right? The, my title is uh, Senior Director of Artistic Planning. Um, and like a lot of titles at these nonprofit arts organizations, they kind of evolve organically. Um, um, artistic planning seems to be uh, something that has become kind of trendy in the LA organizations. Oh, I really? think it may have been something that started at the LA <laughs> Phil. I don't really know. But, um, but yeah. It's essentially I'm uh, I'm I'm what industry wide would be known as the artistic administrator. Okay, and walk me through um, your duties now. I, <clears throat> just so my listeners understand, I think most of them know that I'm a, cor- a chorister and a sometimes soloist here at at uh, LA Opera. Everybody downstairs, uh, I think, is curious about the behind the scenes workings of how things happen. Yeah, like how do you how do you find singers? How do you negotiate their contracts? Do you have to put up with, I mean, are divas still a thing like they were in the 50s and 60s? <laughs> How do you handle that kind of stuff? I mean, I've got tons of questions. So, all right, well, we can, all right. we can get to all of them. Okay, good. So so as far as hiring the singers here at LA Opera, do you hire all of the principal singers or do you hi- do you have some input or does Placido and James have Absolutely. a lot to do? How does that work? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of, one of the things I love so much about um, the, the particular system that we've set up is that it is... Um, really truly a team effort there mm-hmm. are i mean with with placido um traveling so frequently and hearing so many singers mm-hmm. both you know in the performances in which he appears but mm-hmm. also through his competition, his competition aurelia sure. mm-hmm. um and james of course you know all over He's the everywhere. world yeah. everywhere um christopher is traveling frequently and you too um, right and I mean, i'm on right. the road all the time uh and i think that we've uh we've really established um a kind of um, shorthand into uh, how to scout and attract and 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 um, find the yeah find them exactly yeah. yeah and so you know there are there are times when um, a project will come up and it will be uh, a project very much planned because a particular artist happened to be free and interested in it like for example I know that our um, Tales of Hoffman next mm-hmm. season was very much a conversation between uh, Placido and Diana Damrau in which Placido said you know, Marta has this incredible production that LA Opera owns of Tales of Hoffman. I want to conduct it at some point. Would you ever be willing to bring the four heroines here? She said, yes, I have six weeks free in 1617. And so that developed in that way. Um, and what's the lead time for something like that in particular? Was that two or three years ago? Yeah, or how, yeah. How does that for happen? a project like that, it would be two or three years for sure. I um, see. Um, only because Placido's schedule is so heavily booked. Diana's schedule is, you know, equally um, um, packed. Sure. Uh, but then there are a lot of projects that I, I think, uh, you know, the way the way that um, Christopher has has kind of set up the artistic planning process is is really allows for a kind of it, it allows for a number of last minute decisions, which which um, uh, I think intendants all over the world look mm-hmm. at us and they say how do you even go to sleep at night with that kind of right. of system but actually if you look at it um what they think of as uncertainty and a kind of you know like foggy mm-hmm. impending horizon sure, like a sure. tidal wave coming sure. at you we look at as we've benefited enormously from that kind of flexibility i mean an example is you know this magic flute that's so popular that everybody loves the sure. Koski production from berlin mm-hmm. um um, was originally going to be a revival of our own Peter Hall production sure. that we own. Mm-hmm. Um, but we saw this production, we learned of it, um, um, went to Berlin to see it, thought this is something that would just be go do gangbusters in L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, 
because you know because we kind of maintain that flexibility um, for certain projects, it allows us to to both be kind of putting some projects in three years in advance and some in on 10 months notice really yeah now how i mean that must come from the board you must have a board that is okay with uh throwing money at uncertainty to be blunt i mean how how do why doesn't that catch on around the world like Mm -hmm. you well i think you know interestingly enough um um i think as as we all travel um we and we have you know our coffee meetings with um artistic directors and intendants all over the world one of the things they're always curious about is um is how we can go you know how how we can have certain projects kind of unclear until about that one year lead time which mm-hmm. which historically in i think the 80s and 90s um this trend developed that from what i understand before that period um people weren't planning five years out oh really it was only then oh. that um that uh that's what i understand is it because there was a a a shortage of singers or what 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 caused that (laughs) you know much of what i would much of what i'll say right now is is entirely hearsay i wasn't i wasn't in the business Mm -hmm. at that time um um, but from what i understand uh it was just an era in which the culture of philanthropy was not not just you know um um, maybe more generous than it was previously or currently or mm-hmm. since. Um, oh, so they wanted to secure all the funding and lock everything down while they had it. And so I, I think that I think that w- w- and on top of that, I think that um, that uh, opera companies um, having what I understand to have been you know a lot of resources um, meant that they could spend a lot of money on talent. There were it was also a time in which. You know, there were still. I remember being a kid going to the opera then, and there were lines around the block to sure. to get a last minute return for you know Pavarotti and Carol Van Ness at the Met singing Tosca or something. Sure. Um, you know that kind of enthusiasm doesn't exist. But while it did, I think opera companies were very anxious to get Carol Van Ness five years away. You know when they could. Right. Right. Um, and I think that you know as as we're now entering an era in which really important projects are still attracting major audiences, but Mm -hmm. individual artists Mm -hmm. are not necessarily anymore guaranteeing lines around the block. And so I would imagine that the excesses that artists were known for in the past are no longer really part of the vernacular anymore, you know, staying at the Ritz and having, you know, 10 dogs with them and Pavarotti having three refrigerators and two chefs. Yeah, and and look, I'm not going to lie. Even now, there are a few personalities that, um, that it would be hard to distinguish between what is like a cultivated diva uh, personality and just kind of like inherent mental illness <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but for the most part for the most part um, the artists that you look at and think to yourself this person's clout talent ability to sell tickets over really, over rules w- well and 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 you would say to yourself in that person i would understand very bizarre behavior because at least what they bring to the table is insane but the interesting thing about it is huh. they are never the ones who have it really yeah the 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 people you think of as the stars of the opera world yeah. today happen to be some of the most professional nice people in the industry is that right? Yeah, it's it, the the people I'm referring to. Well, I like Placido. I can, for I can, instance. Ta- I can tell you names I mean, when we stop recording. Sure, but, sure. But the people who I'm talking about as as being still really kind of holdouts from this from this like legendary diva. Yeah, era, yeah, yeah. Th- these are people like a, a a notch lower, and so you think, well, their behavior is probably a response um, to what they see of as like you know. Uncertainty, yeah, or insecurity, insecurity in, their, in yeah. themselves. The ones who are secure in their careers, in their talents, the one who who know what they can do, as you know, Placido being well, the I prime mean, example, oh, the nicest, most generous so man nice. you've ever met. I, I mean, there there have been times when I've run into him, and and I what I know to be on his plate is so overwhelming, right. I can barely breathe. Right. And he looks at me and says, "Hi, Josh. How are you? How's your mom? Exactly. How's everything?" And I think, "How do you have time for me?" Exactly. But one of the nicest, most generous. You know, people. if I rest, I rust. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's his thing, right? I mean, right. it's crazy. Totally. He is so nice. I, I've got a little story. When I, I sang uh, the uh, the little bit role in Traviata, yeah. you know, where, where I introduced yep. Placido for the first time. Um, Giuseppe is the, the little role. And so I go out and I sing my line and I nail it. You know, I'm, I'm always, uh, James and I, uh, Maestro Conlon, are, you know, we're always talking about tempo and trying to, because I'm kind of dumb that way. And <laughs> so, he, you know, he really helped me out. And I, I finally nailed it. 
and I'm standing there and this applause erupts. And I thought, holy shit, that's awesome, man. <laughs> like, this is a great audience. And of course, I turn around and there's Placido, like two feet away from me. He'd already entered behind me. And I was kind of deflated, and I walk out like a servant should with his shoulder slumped. <laughs> and uh, so I'm waiting backstage, and Placido does his thing, and then he comes off, and, and he gets his water from his dresser. And, and I come to him, I put my hands on his shoulder, and I said, Maestro, Maestro, did you hear the applause that I got for that? And he was so he was so nice, he almost spit his water. I said, oh, yes, yes, Omar, that was very good, very, very good. <laughs> That's so, so he, funny. I mean, he, is, he really is... Uh, exactly the person that you hope he is. Yeah, and know? look, I mean, so, you know, and somebody who um, has dedicated such a massive percentage of his own time over the last how many decades to the careers of other people. Yes. You know, I yes. mean, the the number of stars and young singers alike today who owe everything they currently have to his advocacy. It's incredible. It's just amazing. It is incredible. Now let's talk about the ones who aren't so nice. I don't want you to name any names, but I mean, when I, I've been here, this is my 11th season. And even as a chorister, we've all seen some shenanigans with yeah. some of the principals. How do you how do you deal with that? And does that damage their reputation here? Like, would you hire them back um, even though they misbehaved in some way or pissed people off along the way? Well, um, how, how does that work? All right, you know the 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 I'm I'm compelled to start by responding that um, um, as a former singer, yes. Um, as you know very R well. Remind me to get to that, because okay. that, that's another interesting All right. topic. Um, you know, I I know firsthand, as do you, that there is um, enormous pressure. Yes. Here's my theory, and, yes. it's, and, and, and it's completely unsubstantiated, but nonetheless, it's mine. Mm -hmm. mine. Um, um, there is enormous external pressure mm -hmm. on delivering a product that is reliant on a very kind of insecure mucous membrane in That's the throat. Right. That shift that is shifty. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, of course, as you actually learn vocal technique and learn how to sing, you begin to realize it is not entirely chance. It's mm -hmm. not all like, you know, mm -hmm. um like a, a cup of coffee that was too strong that resulted in dehydration resulting That's from right. air conditioning resulting That's, from oh, that. Man. Boy, it's I not, went through right. that. Yeah. It's Oof. not all that. I mean, once you once you start to learn how to sing, you begin to realize, oh, even with all that I can still These do are my this. parameters. Yeah. I can do this thing. Yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, it is shifty and it is difficult and it's a huge amount of pressure. And it feels, you know, and and what it feels like to say, I mean, here's what I always say. There are a huge number of people in this business who have learned and cultivated a massive knowledge of vocal arts. Um, Pedagogy. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. there are. But here's what I always say. You either know what it feels like to crack on stage or you oh, don't. Boy. Oh, boy. You know, because there are a lot of people in this industry doing casting and doing artistic planning that that um, didn't come from a vocal background. That's right. And so, um, so I always think, no, it is possible, of course, you know, historically led legendary um, people in the industry didn't start off as singers. Mm -hmm. So they just cultivated a knowledge, a firsthand knowledge of it somehow. Right. But at the same time, you and me, we know what it's like to get up there and to say, and just, I'm about to oh inhale boy. and scream in yeah. front of 3,000 people, yeah. and it's going to either go well or cross my not. fingers and toes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, and so, so that... That engenders, in my mind, such an enormous amount of sympathy for the people who behave poorly that I... Um, you understand it. I really feel like, uh, you know, one example would be we had an artist who just absolutely, even though there were elements to a show that dictated a certain costume piece yes. like 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 you know just to be very vague and i'm sorry to be so no, of vague, course but, no 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 um like you know let's say a scene took place like you know in the mountains in winter outside mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. that would that would necessitate the wearing of a coat right right um um, but we had an artist who just like i'm making this up again but yes, just like yes. in that instance refused to wear a coat yes and it became this huge thing, and it looked really bizarre because that person was the only one on stage without a coat. Everyone else was shivering, and there were snowflakes falling or whatever. Right, right. And um, and so, you know, everyone's going kind of nuts. And then I, I just I just pulled that person aside and said, and said you know, um, how are you feeling about everything? And it opened up these floodgates of, you know, no one's listening to my ideas and the director is, 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 you know, um, unsympathetic. Unsympathetic. And, sure. mm -hmm. da, da, da. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
and um, I understand that it takes place in the winter, but I'm actually sweating wearing that thing. And, you know, so it's like, oh, so actually, so what if we were to work together to make it a little bit more wearable and Mm -hmm. breathable so Mm -hmm. that you didn't feel so suffocated? What if we were to enable a half hour meeting between you and the director to actually talk through some of these ideas? You know, and then all of a sudden you begin to realize that the behavior has really nothing to do with a coat. Mm -hmm. It has to do with other things. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've described all of the... um physical things that have to go into singing, which are extraordinarily complex, Mm. and they do change from day to day to some extent, but you didn't uh, add the whole other element which you're getting to now, which is the psych- psychological yeah, element. Sure. Uh, the the type of person that this business attracts, just off the top, like yeah. ju- that, just that right off the top. Yeah. The type of person that can stand in front of 3,500 people and and be scared yeah. and be open. That type of person. Yeah. So I I'm starting to understand a little bit better about what you're saying, and uh, you know, it's easy to cast dispersions from the outside without really considering all of those very intricate and delicate details. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the other, the, the, the kind of subsequent thing I would mention is that once you, once you really kind of agree to agree that this is, that, that, that fundamental poor behavior is, is due to um, insecurity, mm-hmm. uncertainty, mm-hmm. Um, um, un- something else other than what the behavior actually is, you actually then find that ninety nine percent of the people misbehaving are 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 reachable, yeah. and that once you reach them, you can you can really get and and as a result, I mean, we have a lot of them say, um, you know, I will come back to L.A. whenever, whenever, ever. But you guys have been so amazing. Wow, you know, and um, and. You know, that can be a real change for somebody who walked in with a chip on their shoulder and walked out feeling respected as an artist. Um, and I think we, I think L.A. Opera does that really well. Um, uh, the, there does, though, remain that 1% that I think you know, really will we'll never reach. And I think it really is mental illness. Yeah, yeah. despite the, the extraordinary talent yeah. that they, they may yeah. possess. But, I mean, I think you see that in every business of, of course. artist. I mean, I think there are visual artists. I think there are... Um, um, actors, I think there sure. are TV and film people, presidential candidates. D- yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and and I think that um, I think that uh, you know where kind of individual personality quirk ends and mental illness begins is very. In it's those a blur, people, it's, a blurred, it's blurred. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Okay, so uh, like like you mentioned earlier, you trained as a singer, and yep. I did a, a little tiny bit of research. I try not to do a whole lot of research because I, I, I like this podcast to be more conversational and sure. exploratory that way. Um, I don't have any set questions. So um, from what I understand, you grew up in California. I'm from here. Yep. Uh, from L.A.? I'm from L.A. Oh, you are? Yeah. And you went to you went through high school and everything here in LA? I did. I went to uh, so I went um, start from the very beginning. I went to uh, Cabrillo Elementary, which is now I think Malibu Elementary. Sure. Grew up on Point Doom. Um, moved in uh, from Malibu. We uh, commuted to a, a elementary school in the Palisades called the Village School. Okay. Uh, I then you, this is all such detailed. No, but, no, um, it's very interesting. Uh, from there, uh, for middle school and high school, I went to Crossroads in Santa Monica. Oh, sure, sure, uh, sure. And then I did my um, in at, at Crossroads. I uh, got very involved in theater and um, musical theater and chorus, which mm-hmm. then led people to say, you know, there's something something there, right? Something right. there that's different than 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 other people. Um, so I started taking voice lessons with a woman who was um, on faculty at Occidental named Gloria Grace Prosper. Okay. And um, uh, on weekends, I would have voice lessons and, and through high school. Uh, and then um, I graduated high school early at 17. Mm, me too. I was yeah. just young. I didn't yeah. like me- skip a year. Yeah. Um, and uh, I knew that you know, the lore was that, you know, you're, you're a baby till you're 30. So mm-hmm. why rush this thing? So I said, you know what, then, then I'm just going to go, uh, have a fun college experience and not, not go hardcore into conservatory. Right. So, um, I went to UCLA for a year. Who did you study with there? I, um, uh, didn't, I wasn't, Oh, you weren't I, I just decided oh, to, Oh, Oh yeah. So you stopped singing well, for a little bit uh, kind of, I, or studying, uh, I, so. I continued studying with glory grace. Probably. I see. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I decided I would be 
kind of undeclared initially as a, as a major. By the time um, I thought that I might be interested in doing like Italian language or some, yeah, that, something. Yeah, what were your, what were your uh, other interests at the time? What were you thinking um, about? Well, I knew that music. I eventually wanted to go into opera, but I knew that at 17 and 18 years old, I was so far away from being able to take it that seriously. Sure, that just I physically. Thought, well, what yeah. if I continued to study theater, continued to study Italian language, things that when I finally wanted to go into opera mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. would be useful so I was I was thinking that I would eventually declare as an Italian major. Um, um, I don't know why. And then uh, in my sophomore year, I got a little antsy going to college in my hometown. Uh -huh. So I uh, transferred to UC Berkeley. Okay. For my sophomore year. What, what did your parents do? Were they did they were they my parents were both in law my dad was a lawyer my mom was also a lawyer but then became a judge and was there um some connection with berkeley or did you just no, no. i just oh you know that all my high school friends went up to berkeley i see and okay. i missed them and um and you know like all kids going to college i, I just thought it's time to move to a different city yeah, than where my course. parents live <laughs> of course yeah um so i went to berkeley for my sophomore year and at that time um both my UCLA and my Berkeley year were um, Pete Wilson, governor of California, sure. and the arts budgets at both of those schools at probably UC-wide um, was completely slashed. So, for example, mm -hmm. when I got to Berkeley, the only vocal opportunity... Um, Oh, so at UCLA, I did take like uh, opera scenes class, okay, sure, and and um, just as one of my electives, yeah. Uh -huh. And at Berkeley, uh, when I looked into it, the only available vocal class you could take at that time everything had been reduced to a single like 200 person chorus wow and i loved it it was amazing but i thought this is not the repertoire i, I really want to be looking at opera repertoire right i don't want to be um, i mean I, I love i love all the symphonic repertoire but mm -hmm. but there just was none of it mm -hmm. so on a whim in my sophomore year at berkeley i um crashed the juilliard auditions in new york what? I flew uh, really? to New York. Yeah, I flew to New York. I asked them. They said no one's. They said, "Look, we're not gonna. We don't do that." They, yeah. they said, "We we we don't turn people away who might be talented because of something as silly as like a deadline." And I thought, "Well, that's pretty awesome." Nice. Okay. So I said, "So if I show up with a check and my application and everything, you're gonna hear me." And they said, "Yes." So they heard me and I got in. You're kidding. No. So my junior year, I moved to New York City and became a freshman at Juilliard. Wow. <laughs> wow. And um and uh that was kind of perfect because now I was nineteen, um, so I was at an age where things could actually maybe happen if they went right over the next six years. Sure. And they did. I did my undergrad and my graduate studies at Juilliard, um, six years, four years undergrad, two years masters. Um that led immediately to a three year residency at the Houston Grand Opera Young Artist Program. Uh-huh. Um and um, it was at my time at Houston, this always comes out wrong, so I want to disclaim in advance that this is not in any way a criticism of, 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 their, of the program, of, of it at all. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, it's the opposite in that I, it was in that time when I realized I probably didn't want to be an opera singer for very long, but it was because I fell so in love with Houston Grand Opera. And I thought, as an organization, it just it was such an important place to me. The young felt like home program. for you, yeah. And it it felt like I I became aware through that company of what an opera company can be to a community. Mm -hmm. And and that, and that overrode your desire yeah, to sing. Yeah, that was that became a new kind of obsession. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So because um, that was my next question, how did you make the transition? Yeah. Into this because you had so so much success as a singer, right? You know? Well, so over the next. Um, so that was 2000 to 2003. I was in the Houston studio. And then um, from 2003 to 2007, I just had a really exciting four years as the, you know, a new professional opera singer. And, and did you have representation great. at the I time? Did. Who, who, who were you with? A woman named Janice Mayer. Okay. Who uh, subsequently went to work for, I think, the Van Cliburn competition. Uh -huh. and other, she no, is no longer an And agent. you had a good relationship with her? Yep. Yep. Boy, you lucked out. I had a real, I had a terrible agent. Oh, when really? I, oh, yeah. That that's actually what turned me off of solo singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a that's a relationship that needs to be strong. I mean, <sighs> it can take many many forms. It can be very close. It can be best friends. It can yes. be just very transactional. It could be whatever you want it to yes. be, but it has to be strong. That's right. That's right. 
So yeah, so I was a uh, opera singer for uh, about four years um, on the road, and how it, was that for you? It, you know, it was rough. It was. It was for me too. It was rough. Yeah, yeah. It was the. It was the. Um, the waking up on a Tuesday and like actually forgetting what city I was yes. in, or like and like saying, you know, where in this hotel room is the restroom in the middle of the night, and just kind of dis- the disorientation. I know that's a really stupid point, but it became a kind of metaphor for me for for just the transience. That's and right, the nomadic. That's right. And if you're not a vagabond at heart, um, you know, I'm kind of a homebody. Me too. Actually, I yeah, like being sure. in one place. I like my family. I like my friends. Um, I found it to be really tiring, and uh, it made me insecure, actually, yeah. as a singer. It didn't help my singing. You know, that's exactly—what you just said is exactly right, is that um, is that I, you know, I started—you know, for example, there were times—this is a really stupid example, but it's one that just pops into my head as very illustrative of, of, of what you just said. Um, there was a time I was singing Osmin at mm-hmm. Houston Grand Opera, and— um, um, and, um, my costume had been constructed in such a way that um that it it made it um to to be perfectly blunt sorry it made it a little bit difficult to use the restroom yeah. like in between sure. acts yeah you've got to take like five pieces off or right. something yeah and um um and so i just asked what i thought to be a very kind of simple question which was is there any way to just kind of modify it a little bit so that it's easier for me when I have one scene off that's right that I might if I need to just use the restroom and um you know all the things that came to my attention afterwards were like you asked that on a Friday night which meant a crew had to come in on a Saturday and we paid them overtime and you know to put in a zipper to do the yeah right and all these things that that um that um you know the way it was kind of presented by to me you know back by the company was 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 like um you, th- you could have done this in a better way and i remember at that moment thinking god i just behaved you know i just behaved like someone that is not me like who was that that who was that that thought it was appropriate on like friday at 11:30 p.m. to say you know um this is unacceptable right yeah. and and i and i just remember thinking you know josh you're you're a trooper and you're kind of easygoing and you could have certainly played along until it was a little bit more convenient. But I remember saying you just acted in a way that is like somebody else. Yeah. And I remember thinking, Oh, you need to get out. This is, this is this, this, the pressure, the, the kind of, you know, the self-centeredness of this profession, you know, all of these things. And, and when you're alone, that's all that really is all you have to hang on to. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and, um, and you know, it's all of those things. I, it sounds like I'm being really negative about it, but actually, all of these things, all of these stories, made me love the people that do it. Me too. More. Yeah. Me too. And I look at them and I think, you are such an artist. You have something to say. You need. You are so compelled to express yourself through music mm-hmm. and through through singing mm-hmm. that you are willing to endure, you know, a pressure that could really ruin your life. But but for you, it, it's, it's worth the it. only way. Yeah, because you you're such an artist. That's right. And so it really made me love them more. And it also made me say, "Oh, at your first opportunity, Josh, time to get out." Yeah. See, you've got that's where you've got me beat because I really I really limped along for a long time. I I, I kind of played both sides of the coin where I would say, "Why why am I why am I not doing that? I I can do what that guy's doing." Yeah. Um, but the truth is, it, it's not really about a, a ability in in some people's cases, certainly not my case, it really is about temperament mm. and the type of person that it takes to be successful in this yeah. business, independent of the voice, totally. independent of the it's talent. It's aerodynamics. It's, it's, w- it's what shape are you. And I can't do it. Yeah. So that as the boulders are thrown at you, do they bounce off easily or That's do right. they hurt? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It just, it just wasn't for me at all. Right. Um, so how did you come... This I, I, this wasn't your first administrative job. How, where did you go from Houston, yeah. from being a singer at Houston? So when I realized um, uh, it was time for me to, to mm-hmm. transition, um, uh, I which means something today different than it did <laughs> when I transitioned. Um, um, where, uh, I I talked to a lot of the administrators that I had grown to really really respect. People who, as a singer, I thought those are the those are the jobs I'd wanted. They're at Houston Grand in particular. Well, at Houston, mm-hmm. also New York City Opera had become important to me at that point. Wolf Trap. Especially. Sure, sure. My alma mater, Juilliard, I thought was just an incredible, exciting place. Mm-hmm. So those are all. I, I, I specifically kind of went about 
over three or four months making appointments with all of those people to say to them, this may come as a surprise to you, but I am looking to transition from the stage to behind the scenes. Um, if you were to ever see any value in my experience as a singer and bringing that to the table, working for you as mm -hmm. a producer in some way, mm -hmm. um, I hope you would consider it. And to my surprise, um, uh, three places said right now, yes, on the spot, here's an offer. Wow. And it was really serendipitous because it was Wolf Trap, um, said for the last few years we've um needed to start a young artist program and mm -hmm. we just you know have been kind of waiting to get the pieces to fall into place and mm -hmm. you saying this at the time when they did so if you'd like to start a young artist program at wolf trap there's your there it's yours wow. and that was a summer gig um i mean we had to yeah set sure. it up all year but it, sure. i only had to be there in the summer and then juilliard called and said we lost our um rehearsal administrator so if you want to be the scheduler for us okay um, so all of a sudden I got two jobs that were school year and summer back to back. And yeah, so I was able to accept them both. Wow. Um, what was that experience like? That was, you know, it was, it was really amazing. Um, working at Juilliard and working at Wolf Trap simultaneously made me fall even deeper in love with both of those places. Uh -huh. They're, they're just, they're such unbelievable organizations that, that, um, I just, you know, they have my eternal gratitude for the faith they showed in me, not only, I mean, I had w sung at Wolf Trap many times, right. so returning there as an administrator and, and you know, was magical in the same way that spending six years as a student at Juilliard and then going back a few years later as the scheduler right. was really just, you know, um, uh, a very kind of enlightening experience. And, and um, it, was, it was during that time when I um, kind of canceled about a year's worth of opera stuff. Huh, okay. Um, and then I had every intention of returning to Juilliard after summer break, mm -hmm. that Wolf Trap summer break. Mm -hmm. But after I worked at Juilliard and then I went to Wolf Trap, and mm -hmm. while I was at Wolf Trap, L.A. Opera called. And I had every intention when I went to Wolf Trap of going back to New York City. But this opportunity but fell But the opportunity in your lap. Yeah. fell in my lap. How um, did you get connected with L.A. Opera? Nino Sanikidze uh -huh. um, and I had worked together as singer-pianist many times. And she came to work for the Young Artist Program here at L.A. Opera, which right. at that time was brand new. Right. And um, they were looking um, to add someone to the team to run the Young Artist Program with, with Karen Ashley and with her. Um, and she said, I have this person who's great he went through the houston young artist program he just set up a uh, young artist program at, in uh, wolf, at wolf trap, trap. Uh -huh. he's the guy you're looking for and um so they they called me in and i got the job and when was this, this that was, was uh, the 2007-8 season 2007-8 now when while, while you were at juilliard and and when you were singing as a soloist i, I the reason i ask is that when i was a, when i was a principal singer i, I did it for I don't know, two or three years mm -hmm. and i traveled around the country and you know, I was gone a lot, mm -hmm. and uh, it really put a strain on my personal relationship yeah. with who, with a lady who's now my wife, yeah. the mother of my kids. Um, did you deal with that at all? Did, were well, you... so my now husband and, and partner of 22 years. Uh -huh. um, that was where um, I was going. So yeah. we met freshman year at Juilliard. He was a dancer. I was, an, I was a singer. I see. And so we, we met in the cafeteria when we were teenagers, and um, uh, we've been together ever since. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, that's... Awesome. Yeah. And um, so how did that, did, did that put so, a strain on things when you, you were know, traveling in, so much? Interestingly enough, um, I think because the first, you know, the first four years of our relationship, we were both undergrads mm -hmm. and we both had four years to basically, you know, support each other's career ambitions mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. advance. Mm -hmm. So when the time came that he got a job with Jose Limon Dance Company and then and then ultimately Mark Morris Dance wow. Group and started going on the road mm -hmm. and when I eventually became a singer and mm -hmm. you know moved to Houston for the Young Artist Program um, etc. Those were things we had been anticipating happening for 4 right. years. Right. So, so they would worked it out. Yeah. And we just we just made sure that uh, that we never went more than a couple weeks without visiting each other somehow. I see. I see. Um um and uh, then, um, when I got the job to move to LA full time, mm -hmm. uh, we, we kind of looked at it and he realized that, um, you know, as a dancer, he was within a few years of, of retirement, retirement yeah. anyway, at right. that point. Um, so he said, look, we'll make, you know, we'll make this, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be bi-coastal, be in LA half the time. And when I'm not on the road with Mark Morris and, um, we'll, we'll just make this work. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say 
I, I would say, uh, I'm not going to say that it was super easy and, mm-hmm. that, and that, you know, it was exactly as we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But I think we just had enough years right at the beginning where we said, you, 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 this is all why cemented. we've moved to New York City is to do this, you know, so so should should you and I still be together in five, six, seven years time, which mm-hmm. we, you know, thankfully were, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the idea is we knew what we were getting into. And and he, he uh, uh, just for the people who are listening, um, he uh, became a designer, right? He a did. clothing designer. Yep. After retiring um, from uh, dance, he became a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. He um, uh, went to fashion school here downtown at uh, FIDM, mm-hmm. downtown LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his career um, um, has really kind of come, you know, in a really interesting direction uh, because his background as a dancer um, attracted the attention of the very well-known dancewear company Capizio, mm-hmm. where he now has uh, um, a multi-year collection um, for them, 2015 uh, and 2016, um, I think, uh, um, collection of, of, you know, it's called Braden by Capizio. Right, so, right, right. Um, uh, and is he a music lover as well? I mean, he, he, yes. he, he became, I mean, through I dance. being a, a yeah, through dance. Absolutely. And does, I, I think I've seen him once or twice here. Does he come to see the yeah, shows? He's around all he's the around? time. He's around? Yep. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You guys must go to some great parties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Is that I your I thing? I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm at an age where I, no. now I have kids. I no. Mean, I forget it. Yeah. I, I want to be in bed by 10. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that, that's <laughs> us. We have two dogs and seven chickens. And, really? And, uh, and so, um, you know, no, no, no human children yet. But, yeah. Um, Are you thinking? thinking about but, it uh yeah you are yeah oh that's fantastic yeah there's i i love being a dad i've got to tell you yeah it's hard as shit though i can imagine <laughs> I, uh, you know i'm exhausted all the time and i've said that i think on every podcast that i've done that comes up at some yeah. point just I mean, how goddamn tired i am you know the 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 thing with brady and i is that um we he has uh um something like you know 40 nieces and nephews but about half of those that we're really close to sure. that we've known now since we've been together for 22 and years. And are they back east? They're back east. I see. Uh-huh. And m- many of them since they were babies. Um, uh, all of our best friends have kids of which we are honorary uncles and godfathers and this and that. Sure. My brother has three boys that we live near. Um, and so I-, I think that uh, we... While I recognize that it is never the same as when they're your own... That's right. We've had enormous practice... Yeah, I was, well, you know, I, I've been, and as, I don't know, would you adopt an infant? I mean, a, a real, a, like a newborn baby? You know, or I, think would everything's, you... I think everything's on the table. We've, uh-huh. we've been open Surrogacy, to it all. Yeah. That type of thing. All of it. Yeah, if I if I could if I were in your shoes, I would ad- I would adopt like a six year old, a seventeen a seventeen year yeah, old exactly with a with a trust fund. <laughs> if you can figure that out, that would be, let me know. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I'm really surprised at uh, at how marvelous it is. I mean, I I love my kids, and I, it seems like I don't know if they're if they're brought up in, with love around them. Uh, it really shows. I think, uh, from what I know about you, I mean, I think you'd be a great dad. Uh, well, I think you know, I could see you with the Bjorn on here at work, and <laughs> you know, the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I think, um, I think, you know, what I what I mentioned a second ago is is in, in all all that practice we've had, which, admittedly, and yeah, I'll yeah, say yeah. it a million times, yes. I recognize it's not the same thing. Yes, yes. But all that practice we've had, I think, what it's done, to, what it's gone so far as to do is to convince us that when it's time for us, we. I, you know, well, this that sounds you're not terrible, afraid of kids. But I think, I, think we'll be be, I think we'll be pretty awesome dads. Yeah, I think a part of it is that I remember before I had kids, um, I didn't know what to do with kids, like because I, I'm an only child. I come from a very small family. Um, I don't have lot, I don't have any nieces or nephews. My uncle's gay, so he's never had kids, and um, I just I didn't know how to behave with them. Yeah, and so it seems like you've had the, enough practice oh, that yeah, you're at yeah, least yeah. comfortable with little tiny people yeah. that don't know how to do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, do you ever miss? I, I'm, I'm sorry to jump back no, no, a little no. bit, but do you ever miss singing? Like now? I, I don't. I you don't. don't. Um, um, I think that I would miss it a lot if I had gone into another industry. Uh-huh. But being around opera, I mean, the fact that you know, so many hours of my week are in the theater during a rehearsal or performance, watching it happen, mm-hmm. um, interacting with the singers. You know, um, uh, I, 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 I feel 
very involved, although I'm not sure exactly, you know, whether I sway things in one way or another, but I feel very involved in a rehearsal process. I'm, I'm walking upstairs and listening to and you how things it. are yeah. going. Mm -hmm. And, um, because a lot of the singers that are on our stage, um, are people that I grew up singing with as colleagues, mm -hmm. they often say, you know, what did you think about this? I'm trying something new here. So I feel kind of in, involved in, in the process in a way that, um, satisfies the urge to be an artist and to be in the opera world that's right in a way that if i had left it entirely i i'm 100 percent certain i would miss it a lot but because i'm lucky enough to just be surrounded by it and 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 you know or there are days when i would say that because i'm lucky enough to be drowning in it yeah right right um um you know i think that i think i haven't had an opportunity to miss it um how what was it like meeting placido for the first time well that's funny because i grew up in la yeah. and um my classmate, a guy named Cyril Warrer, who um, uh, I, I'm still in touch with, uh, he his mom was Tara Colburn, who was one of the founders of L.A. Opera. Mm -hmm. And um, he didn't like going to the opera very much. So so I was, for my entire year, you know, years during high school, I was his mom's opera uh, date. Uh, and so I was sitting with her. She had the front row center seats right behind Randy Bear at the right, time. Right, right. Um, and so meeting Placido for the first time was actually being, you know, 14, 15 years old backstage with Tara Colburn. Right. Um, but of course, what you meant was, what was it like working for yes. him for the yeah. first time? Yeah. And so that happened when, you know, um, 15 years later when I finally came and worked here. Uh, and, um, you know, as I said, I just think, you know, he looks you in the eye and he speaks with such thoughtfulness and, and intelligence yeah. and sincerity yeah. and generosity yeah that i i with think everybody yeah at any level it's, yeah. it's unbelievable i think you you know the experience of meeting him in person kind of um transcends him to even another level beyond star mm -hmm. because he's so much more than just a star he's just like a decent a, a, human a being. good guy yeah, yeah i agree totally. what what happens to la opera when he when he leaves, not to be morbid, but what what's the plan? I, because we talk about, I talk about this with my colleagues, and I think they're going to have to get like uh, like Bono or somebody or, or, or <laughs> Peter Gabriel. Or, you've got to bring some somebody in. Well, I mean, I think that the you know the um, um, it, the the answer to that on a kind of bigger level is. Um, you know what? It, what is the future of the industry, and 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 kind of who you know who who is out there? And I think, thankfully, you know there are a large number of people who have achieved enormous success as artists who are demonstrating the you know whether it's Francesca Zambello, Renee Fleming, uh -huh. you know these other people. There are a large you know even Thomas Hampson in sure. Vienna is I think um, uh, there are a lot of people I think who in their experience as artists, they have, um, um, now, of course, they've achieved levels in artistry, you know, infinitely beyond where I ever did, but the same kind of thing happened, which is that the experience of, of being an artist um, made you so critically aware of the function of the arts within a community mm -hmm. that you are interested in dedicating your second career to that right and right. and and um you know with renee's work at chicago mm -hmm. with francesca's work in washington what about peter sellers um yeah i mean oh. well look at all i mean all these people you know pete peter's a great example of somebody who i just think you know you meet him and within two seconds you begin to realize his you know he he, he, he could be a cult leader he, i mean he, well, it's crazy and also just how, that, how magnetic he is absolutely absolutely it's and, insane and, and just that you know again his heart is so in the right place. Yes. You know? Yes. So I think that, I think that thankfully there are a lot of people that are doing now what Placido did, which is to say, um, I have a certain ability to really affect change for the better as an artist, but I have way more as both. That's right. You know, and, and there are enough people doing it now that I think, I think the future of the industry is, is in good hands. Right. Now going forward, um, do you see LA Opera as a, the type of place that continues to push the envelope uh, artistically with the productions that are coming to the table? Um, I see at least once, sometimes twice a season, there's a uh, a show that really does push the like the, uh, the, this one, of course, was uh, Magic Flute. Yeah. Um, and every season there is a that type of show. Who who who's uh, dragging the 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 cart on that front like who's the one that's really saying let's get some 
some new stuff here. Well, for sure, it's Placido and Christopher. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the two of them have envisioned a um, um, and and you know a, a very supportive board, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Placido and Christopher really envision a way in which. Um, an opera company has a greater function for a community than we traditionally think of it as, Mm -hmm. you know, and a good analogy might be a good analogy might be, you know, I have friends, everybody I know in Los Angeles. And because I grew up here, that's a lot of people. Right. Right. Um, um, everybody I know, I'm fairly confident in saying, um, goes to LACMA and Disney Hall every year. Right. Now, for some of them, it's only because there's like a fashion show on a Saturday mm-hmm, a cocktail afternoon. party. Or, yeah. right. And some of them might be because there's a puppet show in a courtyard for free uh-huh. or, a, or a children's or guide to orchestra or, right. or something. Sure. So, But the point being, the point being, even for people not necessarily interested in symphony and in fine art, mm-hmm. um, find a reason to use those organizations and patronize them mm-hmm. and... Um, um, and so, so the idea is that an, an opera company, w- the traditional kind of way in which we envision it is that it is it, it functions as a kind of like historical preservation society right. of these an- antiquities, and it's highfalutin and right. it's uh, inaccessible in some ways. Yeah. Right. And I think Christopher and Placido really feel very strongly that this, you know, that this that an opera company like those other strong organizations can very very much be something that everyone in the city has a reason to use mm-hmm. sometimes it's because you are you know a, a minimalist philip glass fan and you're never going to come to la boheme sometimes it's because you're a cinephile so you'll come to dracula magic flute but right. you'll never come to butterfly right you know and um, sometimes it's because you like butterfly and boheme so you're never going to come to dido and aeneas and mm-hmm. bluebeard because it's too b- wacky for you mm-hmm. you know but the idea being sometimes you know sometimes you're not interested in grand opera but you'll come and see the um uh, red cat shows that right. we do multimedia right, right. shows that we do there um you know the but the idea being that um um there that this opera company is kind of on the forefront of of redefining what an opera company can be in mm-hmm. a given community. Now, does James have something to do with that, too? Oh, sure. Because I, mean, I, I see him, you know, conducting across the street, and absolutely. He, can, he does lots of outreach. Absolutely. He has a lot to do with that. Yeah, he is, He is. Um, you know, when, when you see him address groups of kids, mm-hmm. um, um, whether it's before a show that he's conducting or in the context of um, working with the Colburn Orchestra, you know. Right. Um, uh, I mean, he... You know, or the cathedral shows is That's the perfect right. example. That's right. I mean, his passion for making sure that there will always be another generation of people f- who have fallen in love with this art form, in a, even in a very broad interpretation mm-hmm. of what, you know, even if you want to say um, that the Philip Glass Dracula project, that the Hercules thing that we did, you know, even if you want to say that that's not what you think of when you think of his opera, right? the idea that, that you know, there is so much to fall in love with here, and it's a broader interpretation than it maybe used to be. Right. I think they're all very much involved with perpetuating that. And do you sell those projects to fill in, uh, as a as a philanthropic endeavor to the to the board? I mean, they they can't. I don't imagine they rake in a ton of money. Well, uh, is that is that part of the? The pitch, like you say, this this is for the community and this is for the future of the company. And you know what I mean? The, Look, those types I'm exa- how do you sell that? I'm exaggerating when I say this, but you know the fact is is that is that all of us nonprofit organizations. I mean, I mean, the idea is to lose as little as possible, of course, on a given day. Of course, um, there you know <laughs> there is no. You want to bet on know, a winning horse? Yeah, yeah. Well, and there is no. I mean, so you know, um, thankfully, you know, our board and our community. Um, comprises a lot of people with different tastes and different interests um Mm -hmm. you you know so there are a lot of people whose tastes um you know kind of lead them to supporting more traditional works and there are a lot of people whose tastes lead them towards supporting this cutting edge of you know these kind of Mm non-traditional endeavors Mm -hmm. um so you know i think that um um you know, I mean, look at it, you know, for, for example, even within the genre of, of modern works, um, you'll see that there's the Einstein on the Beach by right, Philip Glass, right. and then there's the Jake Heggie Moby Dick, you right. know, both very different. Tremendous, and, yeah. And, and even within this group of people who say, you know, um, I want to use my money to support um, contemporary music, to support the, 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 the you know, the... 
the edge of it being pushed forward. Mm-hmm. Um, even within that group, there are people who say, um, you know, but I'm a minimalist fan versus I'm, you know, a Jake Heggie modern American music fan. You know, right, that right. kind of thing. There's a real delineation even within the subcategories. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, you know, it's... um. I think it's a very exciting time, and I think to kind of go back to your question, I think that L.A. Opera has established itself and will continue to be known as a company kind of pushing this. I think if you look around, you know, um, you'll see that a lot of opera companies now are adding secondary branches of programming the way that we have with off grand right right um, I think you'll you'll find that a lot of uh, companies you know we have um we have a real interest in engaging the community. Another example is this project that I created, which is um, a collaboration between us and one of the founding members of the Groundlings Theater, which is um, entirely operatic sung improv. I don't know about this. Yep. So we, when did this start? We started uh, two... This is the second season. Okay. And basically, uh, we have one of the founding members and current instructors at the Groundlings mm-hmm. um, um, devised a curriculum um, of improv training, but which is entirely sung. So it's basically little, thir- you know, one minute improvised operas mm-hmm. um the way that you'd go so um we we developed the curriculum together she she started teaching them that class we unveiled it just as a kind of in-house staff only show mm-hmm. it was incredibly successful and now we've done four sold out performances at the ground links theater um um which is our young artists and then a few actors uh-huh. thrown in a few groundlings so the ringers are the folks the from ringers, LA. exactly mm-hmm. and um and they have to improvise just like everybody they else. have to improvise just like everybody and do else. they get the training just like the people at the groundlings they do everybody trains together yes i mean we do it here we uh-huh. don't do it at the groundlings. right um, right um and she chooses the ringers who she knows are already pretty good singers sure, sure. so that you know so, you know but um uh it's just been an unbelievable and the idea that you know again um la opera can mean something to people who are who improv don't know, fans. Yeah, and don't know anything about classical yeah. music, much less opera. Right. Sure. And, and thankfully, to our surprise, we've seen that at those performances, you know, at least half are are people coming through the Groundlings channels, not through the LA Opera channels. Uh-huh. And so these are people who, um, you know, I, I think if we had a showing of how many of you have never been to the opera before, you'd see about half. That's fantastic. So it's, you know, it's these cool endeavors that I think will will continue to keep LA Opera as a kind of... And really make an impact yeah, in the in the yeah. culture and bring people back in 20 years. And just to say to the whole community, you know, um, um, we are an organization that's here for you, no mm-hmm. matter what your tastes in theater or music might be. There's something. Yeah. Well, listen, Josh, I really appreciate this conversation. It's, it's been so interesting. My pleasure. I'm so glad. And uh, I've got to tell you, too, on a personal note, like I said, this is my 11th season, and I really do feel at home here. I'm and so I want to glad. thank you for that. Oh, uh, the that... whole organization is just uh, terrific I'm as so far as I'm to hear concerned. That. Yeah. Good. Thanks again. Absolutely. You're so welcome. <laughs>